And then the last, and I love this one, is aiming for the transformation of a community. Hmm. Our businesses have to be about more than just financial accumulation and fame and fortune, right? It just has to be. And so if we don't focus on how do I use my business to transform? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the city of Wheaton, Illinois, right? That's not what we mean by community. We mean, who are your customers? And what community does that form? And how are you transforming that community to be better off than they were before? Hello, and welcome to Integrate Faith and Innovate. Uh, season two with hosts uh, myself, Dr. Hannah Stolls and F.T. Chang. Um, welcome, we're so delighted in this episode uh, to welcome Mark Phillips, who is the CFI entrepreneur in residence and the leader of the new fund, 11 Tribes. Um, this podcast, we like to have conversations about the integration of faith with practical tips for decision-making in everyday business. And uh, FT and I have had this kind of ongoing conversation for over a year now about the need for a spiritual quotient. So our conversation with Mark today will focus on the role of the, you know, walking with God in business and how that informs careers and paths and where we invest and um, how we invest in growing businesses for the future. So FT, I would love for you to jump in and tell us a little bit more about the spiritual quotient. And then we'll um, ask Mark some questions about what this means in his journey. Yeah, we've been really, thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Mark, for coming, um, uh, for joining us. It, we've been really uh, blessed to have this opportunity to talk about uh, how this you, a person's spiritual uh, maturity, life, uh, intelligence can uh, contribute to their career. And we really want to reach out to encourage uh, Christians who are in the mainstream doing work in outside of uh, the academy or outside of uh, um, uh, just ministry, uh, formal ministry. So um, we, we introduced this concept of spiritual quotient, which is the third leg of the stool, emotional intelligence, uh, uh, intelligence, IQ, EQ, and then SQ. Uh, and so um, it, we want to examine it a little bit every, every time we talk. And uh, I'm also a father of a Wheaton student. So uh, I'm here just to um, support Wheaton as well. So Mark, with that, let's start. Tell us about uh, um, your work and who you are, what you do. Sure, sure. Well, Hannah, FT, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, I am a Wheaton grad, so we have that. FT, I have that in common with your, your child and uh, thankful for my time at the college. It was a uh, a really fantastic four years. I met my wife there, so I really have a lot to be thankful for on that front as well. She, she, she lets me remember that often. My background in terms of professionally, I spent about five years working in management consulting with Accenture Strategy. So that was a really, that was the first job out of college. And frankly, I, I struggled in that time to understand exactly what we're trying to talk about here. What was the spiritual quotient of my experience as a consultant? I knew there was IQ required. I knew that EQ sort of was part of the bargain as well. I failed to recognize the power of SQ, as you call it, during my time at Accenture. And, and it, it, was a, it was a challenging time because of that. I left Accenture to go get my MBA at the University of Chicago. And that was when two things really started to happen for me. The first was 
I started reading and studying and trying to grow deeper on this spiritual quotient topic. How do I truly integrate what I believe, what influences me, what I hear about on Sundays into everything I do on Monday through Saturday? Uh, Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, was a huge influence for me on that topic. And the other thing that really spawned during those two years was a passion for entrepreneurship. And I think that passion was really born out of my desire for SQ. Because I think in the corporate world, and it's not that it can't be there, but I, I had just not seen it because of my own blindness. And so when I went and worked with entrepreneurs, I really saw the desire for purpose. You don't quit your job and try to create something big and bold without having a desire for something bigger than yourself. Right. And I think that's a really important part of the conversation with entrepreneurs that we'll get into in a moment, I'm sure. But for me, that was a really awesome integration, if you will, of, hey, I really am passionate about this SQ topic, but I want to understand where I can apply that most aptly. So I graduated from there. I worked in venture capital for a little while, uh, w worked in mergers and acquisitions for a little while of growth stage companies. And about a year and a half ago, uh, well, actually, I should be more specific. It was right when COVID started. I had been working for several years on launching uh, an early stage venture fund that was investing with just these principles in mind. And so that's why I'm so excited to be joining you both and having this conversation. I think I took that leap of faith to say, Lord, I, I trust that what I'm doing is in your will and I'm following your path. My wife and I had a conversation and she said, Mark, if you don't leave to try to start this endeavor, will you regret it? And I said, absolutely. I absolutely, I will regret it. And that was the moment we knew, all right, well, we got to try. We got to try. So that was 14, 15 months ago at this point. Uh, it was, it's been a wild ride. We could talk more about it, but at this, you know, we are a, we're off and running. We've raised the fund. We're investing in entrepreneurs and we're having this exact conversation with each and every one of them, right? What drives you? What is your intrinsic motivation? Where's your identity wrapped up? Is your identity wrapped up in the success, financially speaking, of your organization? Because if it is, the outcome is is either, even if it's a good outcome or a bad outcome, you're still going to lose if your identity is wrapped up in your organization. So that's what I'm doing. I'm thrilled to be the entrepreneur in residence at CFI as well. Uh, working with the whole team has been a total blast. So hopefully that's a, that's a good background on my my professional and personal life. Um, yes, one question, and Hannah, I'll, I'll let you ask your questions. Are you only uh, funding or working with Christians? I love that question. It's a really important one. And the answer is no. The answer is very resoundingly no. We are, everything I do is inspired from a faith perspective, but we're not a faith exclusive fund. And there's really, uh, I'll put a shameless plug in for Hannah's book, Wisdom Based Business. Everyone should read it because I read it and I said, wait a second, this is what we're doing. So the, the, our, our belief FT is there are a core set of biblical principles that when applied to business lead to the best outcomes, regardless of who's working with them. The idea of being profitable and sustainable, that's biblical, right? Let's not forget that. So when we invest, we don't ask for a statement of faith. Uh, we find ourselves investing in entrepreneurs that are Christian, non-Christian. We've got a whole mishmash of it. And I really enjoy that aspect of the work. Mm -hmm. That's that's so, it's so amazing. And, um, you know, FT, Mark, Mark has raised a, a, a large amount of money since COVID started over the last yeah. year and, and seeing this fun launch and it's really exciting. Um, what would you say, you know, we're, we always think about how, to, how does faith get integrated and in business practice, like you can have a spiritual quotient, whether you're a Christian or not, we're, you know, created as both human beings and emotional beings, but also spiritual beings. And as you look at the different 
entrepreneurs and the different startups that you invest in, what are some of the, the biblical principles that you look for in those startups, um, you know, whether they're faith-based Christian or not, that you say, this has to be there for me to work with you? That's a great question. I, I'll caveat it with this. I, I think we look for more, the stage we invested as very invest in is very early. So what we look for is more the bones or the opportunity to say, lean in and have those principles a big part of the business as they create it and as it forms. That's not to say that we don't see indicators of this, that, or the other thing. So I'll, I'll, that's that's the caveat I'll get, but now I'll answer the question specifically. I have five. I have mm -hmm. five. And so I'll go through them very specifically. The first I already mentioned, being profitable and sustainable. That's a biblical principle, and that's very important to any early stage business. Uh, high integrity and accountability. Mm -hmm. uh, if that's not right at the top of your list, then you know, you're going to have trouble. The next three I think are really interesting and a little bit more nuanced. The third is servant leadership. I think that's a really, I mean, Jesus Christ resembled the perfect leader in all aspects of our world, whether that's being an entrepreneurial startup founder or the CEO of a multi-billion dollar conglomerate, right? It doesn't matter. He was the perfect leader and servant leadership was his style. Mm -hmm. So that's a really big piece. And you can, you can figure that out pretty quickly if that's how someone likes to lead their organization. And the last two are more outwardly facing, uh, seeking the holistic welfare of employees. There's a really interesting discussion that I had with someone around benefits, right? At an early stage, benefits are complicated. How do you provide them? Who, who gets what? And you'll see a lot of startups where the C-suite or the management team gets a different version of a benefit package than some of the early stage employees. That's, that's not seeking the holistic welfare of your employees, right? That's using and leveraging them for what you need to get done. It's a really simple example, but little things like that are conversations that we like to have. And then the last, and I love this one, is aiming for the transformation of a community. Hmm. Our businesses have to be about more than just financial accumulation and fame and fortune, right? It just has to be. And so if we don't focus on how do I use my business to transform? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the city of Wheaton, Illinois, right? That's not what we mean by community. We mean, who are your customers? And what community does that form? And how are you transforming that community to be better off than they were before? Yeah, that's, um, those are, I mean, I obviously I love all of those principles. They come from scripture and the Bible. Um, do you have some examples of like some of the industries that you're investing in? And um, it'd be interesting just to kind of hear where, where are these transformational spaces that you're getting to see and, and be a part of? Yeah, absolutely. So let's see where to begin. There's a number of really great businesses that we've invested into. A, a few come to mind. Uh, I'll talk about two that we've invested in and one that we're, we're looking at currently. And so that'll kind of give you a view. We've invested mostly domestically, so in the United States, but we did make one investment into Mexico. Uh, we met two founders, Gabino and Gonzalo. They are starting a company called Cylon. And Cylon is simply put a financial services app that helps Mexican families save by rounding up their transactions. So there's a US-based app called Acorns. And it's really, it's a, it's a similar app focused on saving is hard, but if we take that $1.50 you spent at the coffee shop or the, the $2.10 you spent to get that you know, uh, sandwich, if we round that up and we do that on every transaction, saving becomes a lot less, pain, lot less painful, excuse me. And so what the team at Cylon has done is they said, let's bring this to the Mexican community where only 1% of Mexican families save. It is not a practice. And so what happens is generational wealth does not exist. 
You don't see that passing on. You don't see families coming out of poverty. And so what Cylon has really committed to is, yes, we want to save their money. We want to invest it. And we want to create more accumulation for them. But more importantly, we want to educate the population. We want to use our app as a resource to say, you know, what does it look like to save? How do I project out my retirement? All these things that we do pretty regularly in America that really isn't provided in Mexico or any of Latin America. So that's a really cool one. You can see the impact of that opportunity. We invested in a second company and, and you know, Hannah NFT, I think it's really important. We take a broad lens when we talk about impact and you'll see what I mean by this next one. The, the founder of this organization, his name is Renji and he is a, a really strong believer. And what he has built is a virtual reality platform that is the number one productivity app for distributed workforces. So what I mean by that is COVID has done a crazy thing. We all work in our bedrooms. This is my bedroom, right? This is my new office. But it's really crazy because I don't get to see my colleagues each and every day. And so he's created a virtual reality app. You put on the headset. And what it does is it transports you into a virtual office. And his belief is that by creating an opportunity to be together, even while we're apart, we can create more community. We can create more you know, collaboration and efficiency within these organizations. And really, and we might talk about this in, the, in a little bit, start to cut down on the loneliness and the mental health issues that we've seen in our communities. Really powerful idea. And then the last is uh, this organization that we're looking at right now is focused on, we, we haven't invested yet, but we hope to, they are building a platform that helps with enterprise communications. So we're really, you can start to see a couple themes here on the future of work for us. That's a really hot space that we're interested in. They've built an enterprise, basically if you took the Netflix algorithm, and you applied it to enterprise communications. Instead of everyone receiving every communication on every platform, what if we understood, hey, FT interacted with this form of communication and Hannah interacted with that, let's tailor our communication to them so they only really receive content that's very meaningful to them. And so what you can start to see is employees that increase their engagement because when they see this thing come through on Slack or the internet or email, it's something that they're really engaged with. And so again, it's this concept. I don't think we're ever going back to five days a week, eight to five in an office. I don't think that's ever happening. And so how do we engage the workforce of the future to reduce churn, increase engagement, and ultimately create a more community feel in a distributed setting? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're in a different world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's some interesting stuff. I, I can't take credit. These founders are amazing, and we're just lucky to support them. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, on your virtual reality, whatever the headset thing, yeah. I, maybe you could use it in nursing homes because the loneliness mm. is a huh. big factor when your children live in on the West Coast and you're in a nursing home in the East Coast. And That's a fascinating idea. I hadn't, yeah, I love that, FT. You know, what's yeah. interesting, one last note is uh, they've done a lot of studies. I, we all know what Zoom fatigue feels like. Apparently, virtual reality does not elicit the same reactions in our brain because there's not multiple like i've got a screen and then i've got the real world you're just focused on one thing they don't have the same level of fatigue when you put on so you think about elderly folks feeling that fatigue virtual reality doesn't cause that same symptom which is really really interesting so people are like i'm not going to put a headset on for four hours well you'd be surprised it's actually not as crazy as even a zoom fatigue experience might yeah. be i think zoom fatigue is decreasing I think we are all more relaxed about Zoom. Yeah, I think so too. And I think a few in-person meetings here and there make that a, a big difference. Yes. So you mentioned accountability. I think that's your second, is accountability mm -hmm. in your second. How about for yourself uh, in your role as yeah. the leader of this fund? What 
who holds you accountable? Yeah. It's a, Besides very me. good point. And yeah, exactly. Integrity and accountability. Uh, those, those are two massive words. You know, I think integrity to me is, is doing the right thing when no one's watching, right? And accountability is, you know, can, can you be trusted to make decisions that are not in your own personal best interest, but in the best interest of, of those around you? Um, I am very grateful for a wife that is a, a partner and uh, just an amazing leader of our home. And, and so that's the first line of defense FT, right? We sit down at dinner and she's got a list of questions she wants to know about the day. She can hear me right now, probably talking on this podcast. So we're going to have a conversation about that later. So I'm really grateful for a partner and a wife that does that for me. But within the organization itself, you know, I, I've created a very, we've intentionally created a very strong set of processes that keep governance top of mind. So for example, one really easy way to, to talk about that is there's two, two points, right? Money, we're transferring money, right? We're, we're taking money and sending it out. We create a, a multiple step process to transferring any dollar, right? So that's, that's just a check, right? Everyone is, is uh, susceptible to temptation. And so if you could easily transfer money without someone else approving that, that's a danger. So we've set that up. One, one really big piece for us as well, maybe the second most important is every decision we make from an investment perspective has to go through an investment committee, which is four people, and the decision has to be unanimous. And when I talk about governance, I don't mean a big long document. I don't mean you know step one, step two, step three. The people we have brought into our organization, governance to me is first and foremost, are you honoring God in every decision that you make? Second, are you honoring your family? And then third, are you honoring the organization of 11 tribes? And if you're making decisions in that order, I'm really confident that our governance process is going to be really, really strong. And so as we make an investment decision, it's a unanimous process. And if one of the four says, listen, I don't, I don't have a good feeling about this, we won't do the investment. And I trust that each of those people, they're seeking God's wisdom. And if he puts something on their heart, we have to listen to it. So that integrity and accountability, making sure we do what's right when no one else is looking, we've built things into the fund to make sure that, that it's, it's top of mind. Yeah. Um, how do you, uh, where do you draw the line as opposed uh, for, for things like we won't do X, whatever X is, right? So absent a spiritual or absolute basis, the world is drawing all sorts of lines now. Uh, in yeah. terms of we will only do green, we won't do ESG unfriendly, we won't do fossil fuel, we want, you know, zero carbon. Uh, where do you draw the line as a Christian? Yeah. I, and, and to a certain extent, the lines being drawn by the world are even tighter than Christian lines, <laughs> right? So how, where, where do you stand relative to, you know, the, the wokest of the woke, most progressive boundaries? Indeed, indeed. I don't think people would call me woke, uh, <laughs> is, is the truth of the matter. Um, I, it's an it's a important point, and I appreciate the question because uh, – I have a couple of thoughts. One, very clearly, we aren't going to invest in any vice, right? Like that's a simple, you know, you talk about alcohol, you talk about marijuana. That, that's not an area that, because we fundamentally believe those industries do not lead to human flourishing. That's what I believe. Now, that, that, there's, there's complications and even in that comment, right? I, CBD oil, right? You could talk about that. Yeah. We're just going to put that to the side and say, listen, there's enough investors in that world. We're going to stay focused away from those sort of things. But I think the next conversation Next question we have to ask ourselves is, depending on the topic, right? Let's talk about fossil fuels, right? That's a, that's a really important yeah. one, FT. Yeah. 
I think there's a lot of innovation that can be had in that industry. We haven't invested, don't get me wrong, but the question I would ask, there's no blanket statement. The question I would ask is what's the true motivating factor of the founder? That's what I want to understand. Are they in this because they see an opportunity to, uh, you know, leverage the, the industry to make more money? Or are they in this because they fundamentally believe they have an idea, there's a problem that they've identified that if they solve it, will make this world a better place to live. The motivation of the founder is such an important part to us, not only from this perspective, but also from the perspective of when the going gets tough, if you're motivated by financial accumulation, you're going to quit. I'll just tell you right now, right? Because entrepreneurship is not an easy game. It doesn't, it doesn't lead to quick, you know, getting quick, uh, getting rich quick, excuse me. So I think that motivating factor both influences, are they going to have the ability to impact the community in a positive way? And are they going to be able to withstand the tumultuous nature of the entrepreneurial journey? So those are the questions we ask. Hard to put a blanket statement on that one aside from sort of avoiding the vice topics or vice investment opportunities, but that's how we evaluate our opportunities. I would yeah. say too, it's, it's interesting that the, the world has changed a lot in the last 14 months. I think we see a lot more problems today than maybe yeah. we saw, you know, pre COVID, uh, you know, also from when you launched to today, um, FD, you know, you said earlier things, you know, the life is coming back to new, you know, this new normal, I guess we'll get tired of saying new normal. Yeah. Um, and so have you seen, have you seen shifts in terms of who you're talking to, how business is getting done, the fun space now that it seems like a lot of the restrictions are relaxing and life is changing. Mm. What are, what are some of the changes you're seeing now um, compared to when you launched just a little yeah, just 14 months ago. Yeah, yeah. indeed. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a really, I want to make one other comment and then I'll, and then address that question. And it's kind of back, I think it applies to both. Um, FT, back to your question as well. I think it's really important, again, from like a spiritual quotient, going all the way back to the start here. I think it's really important that we as believers and, and Christians in the marketplace don't disengage from industries because we're scared, like because they're scary or there's the potential for danger, right? I, I've read a lot of, I, there's a, a book I read recently about Christians engaging in Hollywood, right? And that's a, that's a, it's a closed off space to Christianity, right? Bible is a four letter word. And I think it's really important that we don't disengage from culture, but we actually try to become culture creators within those industries. And so that's how we think about it, right? I and mean, we, we haven't talked a lot about sort of when we invest in a company, what does that culture creation process look like? But it's really vital to us and something we think we can add meaningful value through. So that thought just popped into my head and I wanted to mention it. Hannah, back to your question, what are, what are we seeing that's new? I mean, man, where do we where do we start? One of the really fascinating spots that I've started to identify, and this is actually related to some SEC regulations on funds like our own, there's a real democratization of early stage investing that's occurring. Uh, what, so what do I mean by that specifically? Well, two things. One, the tension and the requirements that the SEC has on accreditation for investors are loosening. So what that means is you don't have to have $3 million of net worth or $300,000 of annual income to invest in a fund like our own or into a startup. And the other space we're seeing is crowdfunding. And I think, again, this is a little bit tangential. I think you know everyone can kind of talk about the, hey, you know, distributed workforces, all that stuff. But this is one area that I'm really close to that I'm finding very interesting. The crowdfunding space is, is blowing up. There are now over 65 crowdfunding platforms in the United States. They do, they do billions of dollars of investment every year. And what they're trying to do is open up this wealth creation space 
to people who otherwise have not had access to it, right? I mean, the, the returns that we've seen in the venture community over the last 20 years, there's winners and losers, certainly, but if you can find the right winners, the wealth creation opportunity is massive. So that democratization process, I mean, we've heard all of this with like, you know, Robinhood and, and Reddit and all the AMC bets, all that stuff. But, you know, there's an area of opportunity here for folks who want to get exposure to early stage startups and are passionate about that space. There's an opportunity for them to engage. And that's been a really interesting area for me to observe. Yeah. And that, that's where um, sooner or later, there'll be a lot of fraud and all that. Right. And Unfortunately. Having a reputation for integrity is going to make a big difference because, uh, you know, who knows who's on doing a crowdfunding project and who who can you trust, right? So it's a very important point. Yeah, building a brand for integrity would be really, really important. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that. I had a conversation with a gentleman yesterday. And I was having, I, he asked a similar question and this is what's top of mind for me right now. And he said, oh, that's funny you say that. A friend of mine did that. And now a ton of people are suing him because they weren't familiar with the terms of the investment. And so you exact, right? I mean, there's that accountability piece, right? Do you know what you're getting into? So there's there's risks associated with it, right? I think the, the thesis is good and the idea is good, but in execution, there's a ton of risk. So it's a fair point, FT. Yeah. How many portfolio companies do you have? Right we have eight eight portfolio companies, wow. uh, and I mentioned one that we're closing in on, hopefully in ninth. So our goal is to, over the next uh, probably twelve months from now, we'll we'll have our full portfolio of close to twenty companies. So yeah. that's our goal. So in venture, especially early stage, a certain percentage are not going to make it. You're right. Uh, maybe because of your skill set, it will be a lower percentage than. <laughs> but tell me about how you're gonna. What's going to be the difference in your behavior or how you approach, um, you know, cutting off funding, yeah. closing businesses, firing people? I'm sure that's going to happen, right? Yeah, Talking it is. CEOs. It's, again, there's not a blanket statement to be made there, right? I think it does end up being back to our governance approach. How do we make decisions honoring God first and our family second, business third? Each, I, I wanna talk about two things here because it's a really uh, important topic. One, how do we make the decision when the financial side of the investments comes into tension with the human side of the investment? That's, I, I'll be very candid with you. We have not experienced that yet. And we're, early, we're too early, right? The, the, the breaking points have not occurred. I don't think it's fair to say that in every situation we're going to side on the human side because there's situations where a startup founder, it's not in their best interest to continue running that organization. I can think of a dozen reasons why that might be the case, not the least of which is their health, right? I mean, it might be something that is, is slowly killing them. And the other side of the equation is it's not always in the best interest to say, hey, we want to see short-term benefits. Sometimes we have to make the decision that honors the people running the organization with a long-term view of our investments. So I, we're, we're fully aware of it. I see the tension and we will experience it, I have no doubt. And our goal will be to, again, honor the Lord in each decision that we make and trust that his guidance will make, you know, help bless the most people through that decision. The other question I wanna to point to though, or the other point, part of the question I wanna talk about is failure rates of startups. You talked about it, FT, right now, well, last year, 85% of startups failed. <laughs> it's a ludicrous number, right? Like where do we ever see 85% failure rates? If you dig into the details, 
if you dig into it, in 2019, a group C called CB Insights did a study on this. Over 60% of the time, the failure is because of personal and relational conflicts. Fascinating, right? It's co it's co-founder conflict. We started the business together and now we're at opposite ends and I just can't even do business with them anymore. It's uh, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, bad investor relationships. This is the stuff that kills businesses. If you have a well-motivated group of employees, product market fit, timing, uh, you know, technology development, these are problems you can solve if you are well-motivated. So there's some who even argue that really any failure from a startup perspective is because the people aren't in the right position to succeed. And that starts with the leader. That starts with the founder and CEO. So what we do when we invest, we actually specifically allocate capital directly to the founder for them to work on their own mental and physical well-being. That's a really, so we, we take 2%, it's called our 2% founder commitment. And that's a really meaningful thing. I mean, as we've shared that with investors, they like it, but I have to tell you, as we've shared that with entrepreneurs, I've had people on the phone with me start crying because they say, I wish, I wish there had been someone like this at the start of my journey because X, Y, Z happened. And here I am broken and, and, you know, penniless because no one was there to really invest in me. And so our hope is by investing directly into the founder, we'll create organizations, but more specifically leaders that are more durable, more sustainable. And I believe in the long run, more profitable. Yeah. So what, do, what does the, what, how do you invest in a person? So <laughs> that's a great question. Each person's going to have their own needs, right? So uh, what we like to talk about is I really like the analogy of entrepreneurs being athletes. What do we know about professional athletes? You know, let's talk about LeBron James. Well, yeah. he's he's got a lot of people watching him. Expectations are extremely high. Uh, the outcome could be really good or it could be really, really bad and people are gonna be upset either way. That's a perfect analogy for an entrepreneur. And what else do we know about LeBron James? How many coaches does that guy have? He's got at least 10 basketball coaches. He's probably got a life coach. He's probably got a, a nutritionist. He's all of these things. And yet we take these founders trying to do the impossible, go from zero to one, and we put them off in a corner and we say, good luck. Call us if you need help. That's reactive, not proactive. So we've actually launched, so uh, the, our idea was this 2% commitment. And I realized that financial capital is great, but without the human capital, it's not enough. So I actually, uh, with a, uh, someone I met, her name is Dr. Melissa Milanic. We've actually launched an organization, FT, called the Jeremiah Collective. And the collective is a group of, kind of simply put, pre-vetted well-being practitioners. So if I'm an entrepreneur building something new and I need someone's help, I need a coach or if I need a therapist, right? I've got some past trauma in my life. We can send them to the collective to find the help that they need. And the, the service there, the, the, the differentiator is these are the top tier coaches across the country. We have 25 coaches that we're working with at this point. At this point, we want to expand that number. So to answer your question in short, it's sending them and finding the help that they need, whether that's a coach who can help them be a better leader and communicator, or that's a therapist who can help them deal with past trauma. You know, this concept, this stigma, if you will, around mental health is shifting. And I think as we move forward, this is a conversation that we all need to be having. Yeah. Um, there's a book uh, I called The Trillion Dollar Coach. You can take mm. a look at it. It's a guy who I'll have to look into it. That yeah, it's expensive. I'm not sure I could afford that. <laughs> you don't have to pay him a trillion dollars. Um, <laughs> basically, it's the, it's the guy who helped coach the management teams at Facebook, Google, right, a whole bunch right. of Twitter. Yep. Yeah, um, it's a powerful thing. It can be a very powerful thing. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear about this Jeremiah Collective. It's yeah. A, this is, they, they are not, the coaches are not working for Jeremiah Collective. They are just recommended by Jeremiah. They're 1099. They're contractors, right? And oh. so uh, that's, a, that's an important piece of it. And again, it's not an organization that's faith exclusive either, right? But sure. the alignment within the organization is from a, a Christian perspective. And so you can start to see this ecosystem coming around the entrepreneur, right? The investor, the investing team of 11 tribes. Now the vision is much bigger than just 11 tribes and the collective. The collective is a broad organization up here and the, the 11 tribes fund one is just one customer. Our vision is how do we bring this to organizations of all sizes? How do we bring this to different funds, private equity and venture both? To say, hey, you talk about investing in your founders, you want their well-being, but what are you doing about it? Well, now we have a solution. We have somewhere you can point them. Hmm. Okay. I love this. This definitely builds into our, our perspective on EQ, IQ, and having that spiritual thing in place. Um, and I'd like to talk a little bit about the faith integration and um, some of the work you're doing with Wheaton now as the entrepreneur in residence with the Center for Faith and Innovation. Um, and maybe a little bit about what you draw drew you to that space before we close, because um, we are going to run out of time soon. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, tell us a little bit about um, what you're doing there and kind of that partnership as well. That would be great. Sure. Sure. My experience, again, I, I spoke at the start about my experience at Wheaton. I loved it. I'd go back 100 out of 100 times. But whether whether real or perceived, and, and probably more the latter, uh, I felt like as a student there, I was a math major and like a business econ minor, but they didn't really have a minor, it doesn't matter. But I felt like if I wasn't in the medicine industry or if I wasn't in the ministry, medicine or ministry, I wasn't really doing the Lord's work. And, and again, I, I graduated and I went into consulting and I had that perception and that that's what emptied me. I, I wasn't full on the SQ, right? And I'm seeing it all, in retrospect, you can see how all these things play together. And so as I have been out of, you know, my time at Wheaton over the last several years, my desire to plug back into the community of the college and bring the lessons learned that I've experienced continue to grow, Hannah. And then when you and I connected, I guess it was probably last summer and you shared CFI and I, I heard little bits and pieces, but once I really saw the full picture, I said, man, as a student, I, I would have I yearned for this, right? I was hungry for this because I needed someone to tell me, hey, listen, the marketplace is an opportunity. It's a, it's a missions field. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely a missions field. And so I have taken on a role as the entrepreneur in residence to do really, I, I view two things. One, there are a group of executives, uh, <laughs> FT and Hannah, you know many of them more than I do, but there are a group of executives that are also hungry to lean back into the community of the college and say, hey, here's what I understand. I want a community that I can discuss this with. And I think what I love about the center is it's not just about being thought leaders, which it is, but it's also about galvanizing that group of of that group of executives. And if we can galvanize them to go out into the marketplace and create more change and be agents of change for faith and innovation, boy, that starts to get really exciting. And so that's really tenant sort of one of what I view as my role. The second is, again, plugging back into the next generation of leaders. The center does this iLab program, which hopefully many listen listeners are aware of, which allows students to have direct experience working on an innovation project with an organization. Direct experience. I, I put myself in that and I say, what if I had the chance of someone walking me through the process of innovating from a faith perspective before I went to Accenture? Boy, that would have been really, really cool. So I want to be able to provide that lens of experience to the students and help 
help give the next generation a leg up as they begin their journey into the marketplace. Yeah, that was great. Um, so FD, as we close, we always want to have some practical takeaways. And uh, so I'll put I'll put you on the spot. We'll all, we'll all give one. OK, so FD, uh, there's a practical takeaway for our audience that you say, wow, um, based on our conversation with Mark today, uh, I hope everyone that's listening does X. Oh. <laughs> you first. Um, Mark, Mark, by the way, uh, very inspiring. Uh, you know, you're relatively young compared, everybody's young compared to me. Uh, but uh, uh, thank you. Um, for me, completely unrelated to what you're doing, uh, I'm very aware that the economy is opening up and we've all hardened ourselves and to get to the past 18 months. I just want to encourage people to come back to being softer. Uh, all the uh, don't don't go back into the world with PTSD as hardened, bitter, angry Christians. I think we we do need to remember who we are and that we bring a lot to the table as people who have we have access to an endless resource of grace and blessing and peace. And so, uh, if anything for today, it's just we're coming back into. Uh, opening up, uh, shed some of the shed the shell <laughs> that you had to put on, and come back soft uh, with with a soft heart. You know, come back with don't 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 bring bitterness bit, bitterness and hardness back. It's not entirely biblical, but biblical in the big sense that we are blessed. So come out to be a blessing. I think leaving bitterness out is probably pretty biblical. <laughs> I think I was going to say. I think that fits. I, can, I'll go next, Hannah. Can I? Because yeah. I think what I'm, what's on my heart would actually reflect that. So one of the big verses that's been a motivating factor as we've tried to come up with this innovative approach to investing as venture capitalists is Mark eight thirty six, which reads, "What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul?" And I think that you know it, you could put whatever phrase you want before it, but forfeiting your soul, right? It puts it in perspective. We have to have that eternal lens. And NFT, I think you said it, right? I, I think this applies. We can be hardened and, and protect ourselves from feeling any of the challenges that the last 14 months have faced, but are we losing our soul at the expense? In the entrepreneurial world, we could become billionaires. That sounds fun. But if we lose our soul at the expense, is it really worth it? So we have to have that eternal perspective. And I would just encourage listeners to say, where do we need to bring that eternal perspective more into focus in each of our lives? And, and I promise you, I, I, for me, it's a long, long list, right? It's so easy to get wrapped up in the day to day and I wanna be successful here and do this, that, and the other thing. But if we lose our soul in the process, it's just not worth it. That's, that's so good. And um, such a, a great reminder, you know, whether it's you're you know, on a journey in a classroom, you know, working towards that first degree or second degree or, um, launching something new or FT, you know, the sage, the sage voice on our podcast um, that we we always want to keep that in perspective that, you know, if we gain the whole world, we can do a lot of good. But if we lose perspective of who God's called us to be, it, it's really meaningless. And we kind of get the Ecclesiastes in there. It's all vapor. <laughs> it's yeah. all nothing, you know. Um, but so I think uh, hopefully for everybody listening, um, it's it's such an exciting space to be a part of an academic, a you know entrepreneurial, a market focused space that thinks about faith, 
and what it means for innovating and for how we do business every day. So Mark, I just really appreciate your insights at, at the phase that you're at. And it's fun to talk to people at all different stages. And um, but thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your perspectives, um, what you gained from Wheaton, what you've learned along the way. And um, let's close with prayer today. Uh, Mark, would you pray for us as we um, close and, and move into what God's called us to do? I'd be happy to. Thanks, Hannah. Father, we just praise you for another day, another opportunity to honor you with our work. And it is that opportunity. I pray that those listening would take to heart the, the words that we've shared and, and um, the lessons that you've taught us. And ultimately, I, I view the, I hope we would all view the marketplace, Lord, as a, an opportunity to, to be a missionary. And in our own way, it doesn't necessarily mean going across these, but having an impact on the people and the communities and the employees that we interact with day in and day out. Father, thank you for the, the good gift of your son. Thank you for uh, forgiving our sins and, and thank you for all the, the good blessings that you bring into our life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you for joining us again, Mark. FT, great to host with you again today. Um, for our listeners, I hope you join us again for another episode at some point about um, Integrate, you know, how does faith influence your everyday life and decision-making? Thanks again, and hopefully you'll tune in again soon. Thank you, Mark. Thanks.